0: It is good to be with you today, whether you are with us at one of our campuses or whether you're joining us online, um, we are grateful that you would take the time today to gather together with us. Uh, My name's Jeff and I'm excited about the chance today to share some things from God's word with you. Sometimes working with words can be funny. Um, Funny in that they mean different things to different people. Um, I imagine a conversation where two strangers, just in passing, they they strike up a conversation and one of them says, so how how was work today? And the other one responds, everyone was coding. Now, if the one who hears that information is a computer programmer, their conclusion is they see a room full of people who are inputting algorithms, right, in order to come to a desired uh, destination. Uh, But my point is if the person who hears everyone is coding is a nurse, that conclusion is that's a bad day. That's a bad day. Well, they're using the same word, but their understanding is miles apart. And sometimes I think the same thing happens when it comes to the language that we sometimes use around church and around faith. And so today, I want us to admit that perhaps the same thing happens when we tend to use the word grace. I'm not sure that that most people really understand the full ramifications of this word. And maybe you're asking, look, does it even matter? And I'm telling you, if we misunderstand grace, then we misunderstand Christianity. This word and what it really means is a big, big deal for us. So, I want us to dig right into the story today because I believe our story gives us great clarity on what we're talking about. So 1 Chronicles is the place that we're at. 1 Chronicles chapter 17, um, we're going to read a good portion of the the story today. If you want to follow along in your Bible, I encourage you to do that. 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 17, verse 1, here's what it says. After David was settled in his palace, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. Nathan replied to David, whatever you have in mind, do it for God is with you. Now, in the Old Testament, all right, before Jesus arrives on the scene, we, we have what's called the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant. For many people, their greatest familiarity with the Ark of the Covenant is Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? And, and, and it's okay, because it really was a box. And in fact, we're gonna talk even more about that Ark next week. But the, the greatest thing I know to tell you about the Ark of the Covenant, it represented God's presence, I mean, there was even a visible manifestation that God gives them where at times they could see the glory of God when the ark was present. They could not touch the ark. This is a God who is holy, and so if this represents his presence, they could not touch it. They would would move it with these poles. God instructed them how to be able to, to move the ark from place to place. And so the fact is the ark didn't have what we would call a a temple yet or, or a home to rest in. They would put the ark in what was called the tabernacle, which was basically this extraordinary tent that they would move the tent from place to place wherever they were as they wandered in the desert and then the ark would be inside that tent. But basically, it's homeless. That's David's point. The ark doesn't have a home. And so David thinks, wait a second. He's like, man, I, I get to live in this amazing palace, right? They, they're, they're now in Jerusalem. And so I, I'm in this amazing palace filled with, with rooms of, of, of cedar, right? And, and by the way, God knew that that cedar wood paneling would return in the 1960s, all right? God knew all that ahead of time. And David's thinking, man, I get to live in this groovy mansion, and here's the ark, God's presence, and he's dwelling in a tent? That's not right. I should build God a house. Sounds like a pretty good idea. If you're living in a palace and he's living in a tent, even the the prophet, Nathan, he's the new prophet in town. He's like, absolutely. Now, come on, put yourself in his place. He's like the new preacher in town. And somebody goes, hey, I'd like to make a huge donation to the building fund. And Nathan's like, I think God is with you. Let's do this. Let's read verse three. But that night, the word of God came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says You are not the one to build me a house to dwell in. I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought Israel up out of Egypt to this day. I have moved from one tent site to another, from one dwelling place to another. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their leaders whom I commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people, Israel." I've been with you wherever you've gone, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning, and I have done, and 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 have done ever since the time I appointed the leaders over my people Israel. I will also subdue all your enemies. I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you. When your days are over and you go to be with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom." He's the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him as I took it away from your predecessor. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. All right, what, what just happened here? Well, in part, what we know as the story unfolds, and we'll continue to read it in this story of God, one of David's sons, Solomon, will actually be the one that God says he's going to be the one to actually build the house, to build the temple. Five chapters from now in Chronicles, God's going to shed a little more light on david who has fought so many wars and he has shed so much blood, and God said that 's a part of of why you will not build this house, but I think there's more when you take into account what God just said to him I think there's more, and we don't want to miss the heart of what God said to David in this instant here 's the picture: God just said. David, you want to build me a house, but let's get this clear. I'm going to build you a house. You want to make my name great, but let's get this clear. I'm making your name great. You want to bless me, but let's, let's just clear this up here. I'm going to bless you. And through you, everybody actually is going to experience blessing and they're going to see how great I am. And the question is, why would God God play that card? Why does God push back on what David's doing here? Well, if you consider the context of this whole story, which is so often the case and so important, David's the king now, and Israel, God's people, has entered into what is sometimes called a golden age of rest. The fact is God's people have been in lots of war, lots of battles with neighboring hostile nations around them. But under David's leadership, so many victories have been won. Now there's peace. And under David's leadership, there is new wealth that the nation of Israel is experiencing. And so when David says, I'm going to build a house for God, and God says, no, you're not, I'm building the house for you, something significant is at stake here. You see, we know from history that in ancient times, it was typical, typical for a king who is rising in power, and the reason he's rising in power is because he has won military victory after military victory. It was typical in that day, and you can read the history books. You see it from the pharaohs of Egypt, they would follow this pattern. We see it from other kings in nations that surrounded Israel, they would follow this pattern. The king rises in power, and so the king will build a temple. Or a monument, some sort of structure to one of the gods of that nation. And then the priests of that god will then declare an oracle of blessing over the king. You got the picture? And I'm telling you, you search the history, you'll find it. Look up the pharaohs of Egypt. Look up the neighboring nations. So king rises to power. King says, I'm going to build a temple for our God. And then the priest of that God say, king, you are going to be blessed. David's about to do the same thing. But what God says is something absolutely radical. In fact, God is about to say something that the average person in our culture thinks is wrong. God is gonna say, let's get, let's get this clear, all religions are not alike. All religions are not just different ways to get to the same God. God says in this story, every other religion works on this principle. You build God a house, God builds you a house. Every other religion works on this principle. You do something for God, God does something for you. Look it up. Every religion is based on that truth. You do something for him, he does something for you. And in this amazing story, I think God is declaring, I don't work like that. And he makes it clear, he works from sheer grace. I build you a house, he says, even though you don't build me a house. I am nothing like the other so-called gods. And this religion is nothing like the other religions, especially in how you approach God. You never achieve blessing from me, God says. You always receive blessing from me. You hear me? You never achieve blessing from God. You Always receive blessing from God. David, if I let you, after all these military victories, build me a house, then it may lead you and it may lead my people to slip into this same belief that they see happening all around them in all the other cultures, that I'm just like the other gods, that this religion is just like all the other religions, but it's not because I'm not. And there's a part of me as a leader that wonders if David was close to crossing a line. I wonder if David was close to crossing the line from being full of God to being full of himself. It's what success will sometimes do. It's what great victories will sometimes do. He's defeated the opposition, right? He's well-known now throughout the kingdom. He's united God's people. He's captured their allegiance. And there's just that part of me that wonders as a leader, has David come to the point where he's like, God, I think I'm gonna do you a favor. Mm. Eugene Peterson once said it this way, if any of us develops an identity in which God and God's grace is less important to who we are than our own action and performance, our ability to represent God's kingdom is utterly ruined. And I'm wondering if that was where David was standing. Here's here's a big point that I want us to get today in this story. If we misunderstand grace... We misunderstand the thing that single-handedly separates our God from all the other false gods. Every other God says, you do something for me and I'll do something for you. Every other God says, you build me a house and then we'll talk about building you a house. Our God says, you don't build me a house, but I build you a house anyway. is different from all the others. That's why around here, when we use the word grace, we tend to attach another word, amazing. Amazing. Because nobody else does it this way. So, if we were going to tackle this theology of grace, I mean, there is a list of specific aspects of grace that we, can, we could work through God's word. We could, we could do like a year just studying God's grace, honestly. Today, I'm going to attempt to sort of just categorize all that into two aspects. That when we think about God's grace, we would see his forgiveness and his favor his forgiveness and his favor. Now, so much of the time, I think when people talk about grace, this is the word we think of forgiveness, and for good reason. I mean, we are talking about a God who who his forgiveness is complete. How absolutely amazing is is it that a God who is perfect would, would actually allow somebody like me who's not to, to be able to turn to him in, in the faith that, that he has done what is necessary for me to be forgiven. That if I ask him that through what Jesus has done for me at the cross, he will completely forgive me. Like all sin, past, present, future, completely forgiven that he would make me his kid, that is absolutely amazing. That's why when we often talk about grace, we're talking about his forgiveness. He loves us. He's willing to continue to restore this relationship with us even though we're the ones who break it. And just in case you don't know, if you seek him, If you seek him with humility, he will forgive. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, there is no sin that is greater than the cross. This forgiveness is real. But today, I want us to make sure that we understand both aspects of God's grace here. That it is forgiveness and it is amazing. But there is also this part of God's grace that today I, I'm terming it His favor. Now, I don't think we talk about this part of God's grace near as often, and I think the reason that perhaps we shy away from it is because if we're not careful, all of a sudden, favor can start to sound like prosperity gospel. And if you don't know what prosperity gospel is, you just heard it. Prosperity gospel is: if you bless God, He wants to bless you. Prosperity gospel is, if you turn to Him, he, he wants to make you rich and he wants to give you right good health. He, he wants to bless your life. This is how God demonstrates His greatness. If you bless God, then He wants to bless you. It is a prosperity gospel that it is absolute garbage. I toned that down as far as I could today because I don't want you to really know the words that I want to connect to it. It is the thing that makes me angrier, perhaps, than anything else that I experience in church life. When I watch people being taught that God operates like all the other gods, that the more you do for him, the more he will do for you. The more you bless him, the more he will bless you. If you build him a house, then he will build you a house. And if you put your faith in Jesus, then you shouldn't have to worry about your health and you shouldn't have to worry about your wealth because he wants to give you more. And the evidence of you having a faith in him is that you are prosperous. And I'm telling you, That is just like all the other religions with a Christianese label slapped on it. It is a lie from an enemy. I'm saying, though, in our attempt to stay as far away from the prosperity gospel as we can, I think sometimes inadvertently we shortchange our understanding then of God's grace as his favor, even though it's all over Scripture. Let me show you a couple. Psalm chapter 5. Psalm chapter 5, verse 12. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. How about Proverbs chapter 8? For those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. That that word, we find it throughout Scripture. And so here's maybe an image I can give you to help us understand what we're talking about today. God builds our life on his grace. Everything about it. So me being made right with God is the word justified in scripture. I I am justified. I have been made right with him. He forgives my sin. He he adopts me as his kid. How does that happen? Grace. Then he, he creates me right? Uh, recreating, a uh, uh, making me to be more like him. In the Bible, it's the word sanctification. It, it is God changing my heart and growing my heart to be like his heart. How does that happen? Is that, is that suddenly then you and I, our effort? No, it's his grace. It's his grace. All of our life, it is built on his grace. It's like the rock that our house is built on. So, When we make destructive choices, when we sin against God, we break the house, grace restores, grace rebuilds. When I say, God, I am broken here. I have messed this up. Can you help me? Sometimes it's with the word again. And God says, I got you. I love you. I forgive you. And I can even rebuild the pieces that are broken. That's His grace. We experience that forgiveness. But I'm saying today if we only relate to God's grace in the form of forgiveness, because we just keep making bad choices, we just keep making the same destructive decisions, then we are completely missing out on this other factor of God's grace as his favor working in our life. Let me show you what I mean. Last week, we read a story about a guy named Daniel. Daniel. And you remember Daniel takes a stand, right, over the food that God has said he should eat. And so I encourage you to go back, listen to the story. I think it's an incredible picture for how we're called to live in this world that's not our home. But there was a verse tucked in last week that we didn't highlight because I knew we were getting here this week. It said in verse nine, now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. So here's what I want you to see. What we see from scripture is that God Gives favor for the mission to which he's called us. Not only do we experience God's grace in forgiving us where we never should have deserved to be able to be close to God. He forgave us, but he also grants favor for then this mission that he has now called us to as his kids. He gives us favor until our mission or until our time is done. The Bible reflects that he is constantly working on our behalf in ways that we at times don't even have any idea. He gives us the grace to join him where he's working. He gives us the grace to make the next courageous decision to follow Jesus. I told you last week, don't ever underestimate one courageous decision to follow Jesus. Well, how do you even make one decision to follow Jesus? Grace. And that's the favor that we're talking about here. Now now listen carefully to what I'm saying. Sometimes favor, like in Daniel's case, looks like the strength to follow Jesus and avoid persecution. Those are usually the moments that we call favor. He got me through this and I didn't have to endure any pain. I didn't have to endure any hurt. But I'm telling you there are also cases in Scripture where Favor is the strength to follow him and then sometimes stand even in the middle of the persecution that comes because I'm standing where I'm standing. Favor does not mean the absence of struggles. It does not. We got to read our Bibles. Even the Apostle Paul talks about a thorn in his life. But what was the response to that? God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So I wanna make sure we get this word favor because if we're not careful, we immediately turn favor into this prosperity gospel where we go, when God shows you favor, then you never go through any struggles. Well, if that's the case, the pretty much all those people in the New Testament that we're reading about who, who give their lives for their faith, who, who end up in prison, many of them beaten, right? It's like, well, what? Is, and, but they would say, no, God's favor was upon us, that he empowered us to be able to do the mission that he called us to, even when it was difficult, even when it was a struggle. Favor doesn't mean the absence of struggles. Favor doesn't mean financial plenty sometimes favor could be financial plenty but you don't get to measure favor by financial plenty what God's favor looks like is a promise that he will meet all of our needs until our mission or our time is done Remember the whole birds of the air thing last week? See those birds? I feed them. And aren't you more valuable than they? And his promise is good until the day comes that my time is over. Until the day comes that that mission is complete. For the Apostle Paul, he refers to God's grace, God's favor, as as the power which produces real practical outcomes in people's lives, like being sufficient to do the good deeds that God's called me to do, to be able to endure the thorns in the flesh that sometimes exist. He asked God to take it away. God didn't take it away. Sometimes that grace looks like being able to work as hard as I need to work. Paul makes a statement, he's like, I worked harder than everybody else. I don't think he's being arrogant. He actually uses it in the context of going, God's grace is so amazing that God enabled me to to be able to, to do what I needed to do. You are made right with God by grace. There is forgiveness that we celebrate, but you are also commissioned for good works. And that happens by his grace. It's the favor of God. But sometimes we treat God's grace simply as this crutch that we keep falling back onto. And I'm saying not only do we miss out when we do that, but so do the other people around us because God's grace, his favor was meant to extend beyond us. Your life is not supposed to look like a reservoir where God's grace is being poured in and you hoard the grace of God. No, your life is supposed to look like a river. That as the grace of God flows, it continues to flow to you and from you that people are blessed. This week I had the very very special honor of taking a day to go on a float trip with our middle schoolers they are awesome just in case you don't know whole bunch of middle schoolers piling into some kayaks and we floated down the river we made it everybody made it as I'm floating down that river I'm thinking you know what because I'm prepping this week I'm going Man, this is what the grace of God is supposed to look like in our lives. We are on this river that's moving, and man, thank goodness there is a current moving here. That's what this old guy was thinking. Thank goodness there's sort of some current that's moving on this river. There is a power that is flowing to me, but that same power is continuing to flow beyond me. And my thought was, this is a lot of fun. I don't know if this would be as much fun kayaking in a pond. Like it'd be okay for a few minutes while we tumped every each other over, but after a while, kayaking in a pond just kind of loses its oomph. But on the river, there is a force that is at work, as God is moving to your life and through your life. That's the way grace is supposed to look. My question is: Are you a reservoir? Selfishly hoarding God's grace for yourself, or or, or is your life more like a river that is selflessly pouring out every last drop, knowing that there's more where that came from? I think one of the quick ways to know, and I'm going to try to say this carefully, are you still asking God for forgiveness? for the same sins repetitively that you did when you first met him. Now, I want to be real careful with what I'm saying because I know plenty of stories in, in my own life and in others where when you meet Jesus, he desires to change some things. But never, for me, do I say to him on Tuesday, I, I'm ready for this to all be be clear and cleaned and changed and on Wednesday it's all brought to completion there's a process there's a process of him flowing into my life and sometimes I continue to make mistakes but I'm saying Some of us have a way of coming to God because there's some real things in our life that we know, it's the evidence that that we are broken and and we are wrong, and so we're begging for God's forgiveness, but then there we stand 10 years, 15 years, 20 years later, and we're still asking for the same forgiveness. I am not saying that we ever graduate from the need for God's forgiveness. All you gotta do is look at David's life, (laughs) I mean, come on, here, here's a guy that, that he didn't just mess up, but he messed up big time, even, even later in his life. But God's forgiveness was sufficient. He was not perfect. God had to rebuild David's house a number of times, but David's heart absolutely, without a doubt, belonged to God. My question for you today is, does your heart belong to God or does it actually, is there something else that demands your allegiance and you simply use God's grace to try to make sure you make it into heaven but still allows you to indulge what your heart really longs for? I'm saying that as we grow with Jesus, we don't suddenly become sinless here. But as we grow with Jesus, we do sin less. Because as we love Him and as we follow Him and as He changes our heart, there's a change that happens. God, in His grace, allows us opportunities to do those things that can only be explained by Him, revealing His greatness. Forgiveness rebuilds the house when we make a mess of things, but God's favor fills the house with whatever he deems fit, enabling us to to carry on the mission that he calls us to, allowing us to to move and to operate, allowing us to make it possible, right, that we can extend God's grace beyond ourselves. I I wanna say it to you this way today. This is is my challenge today. I, I heard this this week I do not know who to attribute credit to. Sometimes when you're reading, you know how it is, you're reading stuff and you don't know if they really wrote it or this person really wrote it, depends on where the source is. But the, but the, but the concept stuck with my heart. And the concept was, I challenge you to write your headlines. Meaning write your own headlines. And here's, here's what it was about. It's the idea that right now we all know what the headlines are in our culture. We're sick of the headlines. We're tired of reading the same headlines and here's what everybody makes the big story. The point is, when I've got the grace of God, his favor in my life, That means I am operating out of a kingdom that is his where the headlines that are really important are often quite different from the headlines that our culture paints. I wanna challenge you to recognize the grace of God at work in your life, the favor of God that empowers you to his mission and that you would begin to write the headlines that matter most in the kingdom of God. I had a good week to celebrate this week. This week I celebrated being married to my wife for 32 years. Isn't that cool? 32, yes. She deserves that applause. She does. Can I tell you a headline? that I want to write, this is the headline. Husband loves his wife with all of his life, just like God loves her. I want that to be my headline. Husband loves his wife with all of his life. Just like God loves her. I got some more headlines I want to write. Dad. Dad. loves and protects and guides his children. Like God loves and protects and guides his children. I'm saying there are headlines in the kingdom of God that God desires for you to write. But you've got to recognize the grace that is available. And as scary as it is, they go, you know what? His grace is enough. This grace is amazing. Some of you, the greatest headline that could be written this week is that you gave up some time that you could have spent on you and you sat down with somebody who needed to know they matter. Maybe all you did was listen. Maybe you were able to encourage. Maybe it was somebody who finds themselves alone right now in all the craziness that's taken around us, and I'm saying you could write the headline this, re- this week. Spent time with somebody who needed to know that they are valuable to God. Let's write some different headlines. And while everybody else is talking about corona and everything else that right now is getting the headlines, how about the church begins to write some headlines that makes the world say, "Oh, that's who God is. This is what God looks like." This is how he loves. I want to finish by just showing you David's response and I'm done. Here's what it says in verse 16. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, who am I, Lord God? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, my God, you've spoken about the future of the house of your servant. You, Lord God, have looked on me as though I were the most exalted of men. And then, if we skip to verse 25, it says, You, my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build a house for him. So, your servant has found courage. You ready for this? To pray. Isn't that interesting? Is that what, it's like, that's not what I thought I would see in the story. Your, your servant has found courage to pray to you. Let's keep reading. You, Lord, our God, you have promised these good things to your servant. Now you have been pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, Lord, have blessed it and will be blessed forever. I, I find it I find it interesting that David's response is he prays, and we go, "Well, what is that?" Here's what we sometimes miss, because of God's grace, because of God's promises. David says, because of God's faithfulness, David recognizes, God, I, I can, I can be close to you. It's what the writer of Hebrews says. Some of you know the verse. We just sometimes don't connect the dots. Hebrews chapter four, verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find, this is it, grace to help us in our time of need. He's like, do you see it? Do you see God's grace that is so amazing? Not only does he forgive us, he makes this relationship right. But we now can approach him. We now can be close to him. We now can, can literally be in his presence. And, and when we do, we know that we continually find grace to help us in our time of need. His favor poured out into our lives to help us to walk out the mission that he's called us to. To help us to love in this world like he loves. I would say, the greatest grace. If you ask me, like of all the aspects of of grace, like what's the one thing, Jeff, you would say, what's the greatest thing about God's grace? This is it. His presence. His presence. And once you've been in his presence, you can't be the same. can we spend a few minutes just praying? I invite you to bow your heads with me for just a moment. Just, it's not because when we bow our heads or close our eyes, it's like checking some box that God makes us check. It just helps us to concentrate a little bit. It helps us for a few minutes to just try to block some other things out and to just zero in on him. And if you are his kid today, man, you you have experienced his grace, if you know you've been forgiven, I want to encourage you to just approach him today, just like like the writer says, that, that you would recognize this favor, that like a river, he flows through your life, that you're asking the question, God, what headlines? God, what are the headlines that right now you're wanting to write in my life? God, what is it that you want me to see? and that you give me favor to be able to walk out for you. I I want you to just spend a few minutes and just asking him, God, show me. God, show me. But there are also those of you, perhaps, that you have never, ever known this grace of God in that he will forgive you and make you his child. So if that's you today, again, whether you're at one of our campuses, whether you're watching with us online, wherever you are, I want you to know this grace, it is real, and it is offered to you. You say, well, I don't know what to do. Well, I encourage you to start where David starts. You pray. You can say something like this, God, I know that I've messed up. I know that I've done wrong. God, I know that I have sinned against you. And I know that I don't deserve anything. But I believe that you, you Jesus, you died for me. And I'm asking in faith that you would forgive me. I'm asking, trusting that you would be willing to bring me into your family, that I could be yours. I'm telling you, it's, it's a humility, it's a simple faith of turning to God He hears, he answers. God, I thank you for your grace. This is the thing that if we don't understand it correctly, God, we we totally begin to equate who you are and God, what you've called us to walk out in this faith. We, We totally, God, get this wrong. God, I'm asking you today to help us to see, give us eyes that can see the truth. How amazing is this grace, a complete forgiveness, God, a favor that you empower us. God, I I pray this week, God, for those who need to call on you for the first time, give them courage to do that. But God, also for your kids who maybe even have done that a long time ago but have never really ever seen your favor. God, give us eyes that can see this truth. Give us courage to take the step to follow you. God, courage, God, this week to write some headlines that are a part of your kingdom, not this kingdom. And as a result, God, may the world around us know that you are our great God and we need you.